Our sermon passage today continues on in our sermon series in the Gospel of John, True and Better. And today we'll be looking at the last two verses of the first chapter of John, verses 50 and uh, 51. So John 1, 50 and 51, this is God's word, good, beautiful, and true. Jesus said to Nathanael, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. And then he added, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that in it we see who you are and what you're up to. Um, And we see this most clearly in Jesus. So I pray, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our heart to see his beauty and majesty that you would cause us to be people who see your love and and with renewed hearts respond to that love with love for you and love for others. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So a number of years ago, I was on a road trip with some friends. And I think we were in Oklahoma at this point. But we had stopped for lunch, and we were at this uh, roadside grill connected to a gas station. And as an aside, I really love those places. Um, But we were there, and a man walked in, and he came up to our table, and he said, Boys, uh, are you saved? And we looked at each other. We were a little bit confused because, like I said, we didn't didn't know this guy at all. He didn't introduce himself. Um, He said, "Are Are you saved? Now, everybody at the table happened to be a Christian, and so I thought that's what he was asking. So I said, "Uh, yes, sir, we're all believers in Jesus. And he said, well, how how do you know you're saved? I said, well, um, you know, I don't remember a time when I did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God and that what he accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection applied to me. Um, I don't remember a time when I didn't believe that. He said, hmm, you don't remember a time? Well, if you don't know when you got saved, when it happened, how do you know you're saved? And we went back and forth like that for a little while. Um, But what it boiled down to was this. He demanded, essentially, that my story, the story of my faith, the story of how I came to the grace of Jesus, be exactly like his. My story of how I found the grace of Jesus was unacceptable. To him, he wanted my story to exactly match him, or he thought it, it, it wasn't valid. Um, now he had had a dramatic conversion experience as an adult. He had gone from somebody who one day did not believe in Jesus at all to the next day had put his faith in Jesus, and it had been a dramatic transformation. And the fact that my story didn't match his, he thought meant that I had not, uh, I had not met Jesus and did not put my faith in him at all. Um, In our passage today, we're going to pick up in the last two verses of John's Gospel. And what I think we're going to see is something um, that I believe that man missed in our conversation all those many years ago. And it's this, what binds Christians together, what matters the most, is not the individual uh, particularities of our story. Though those are important, of course, our stories matter. What binds us all together What's most important is the grace of Jesus. No matter how we got to the grace of Jesus, no matter what our story was before we found him or even after, what matters most and what binds us together is Jesus. He is the center. Now, our passage today, as I said, is the last two verses of the first chapter of John. And if you remember, I said that uh, the Gospel of John is kind of like a courtroom drama. 
And who's on trial? Jesus. Uh, the trial is who is Jesus and what is he doing? What is he about? Why is he here? And so in the first chapter, we've met Jesus. We've met the person that's on trial. But in the first chapter, we've also met the primary witnesses, his first disciples. And we see in the first chapter all these interactions that he has with these disciples. And these disciples, again, in this courtroom drama, are the primary witnesses that are called to the stand as the attorney, in a sense, the writer of the gospel, is asking, who is Jesus and what is he doing? What comes next, what we'll start in on next week in chapter 2, is a series of scenes from the life and ministry of Jesus that show who he is and what his kingdom is about. But before we move on to that, I want to take this week and talk about these last two verses and talk about uh, how they give us a picture of the whole first chapter um, to see uh, what this collection of disciples means for us today. Um, not, and not just to our local church, but our understanding of the universal church, all Christians everywhere that belong to Jesus. And I think we'll learn this, um, that if you polled a hundred people who believed in Jesus, I think you would get a hundred different stories of how they came to know Jesus and put their faith in him. I think there'd be some similarities on stories here and there, but our different stories are different, and that's great. Our different stories, when they are bound together, are kind of like a mosaic. We're up close, it looks completely different, but when you pull back, the picture is the grace of Jesus, and that is what matters most. That is the center. Jesus is the center. He is what binds us together. But before we reflect on that a little bit more, let's look specifically at what Jesus says in these last two verses. Uh, we'll look at it, and uh, this will be our first section of the sermon. We're calling this the true and better Jacob's Ladder. The true and better Jacob's Ladder. Now this comes, uh, our first two verses pick up, or these two verses pick up at the end of his conversation with Nathaniel, which was our sermon last week. You'll remember, uh, he encountered this man, Nathaniel, and he, uh, Jesus displayed some supernatural knowledge. He said that he had seen Nathaniel while Nathaniel was by himself under a fig tree uh, meditating or, or there before he had even been brought to Jesus. And Nathaniel responded with amazement. And he said, you saw me while I was far off. You're, uh, you're God's son. You're the king of Israel. And so Jesus uh, continues on in this conversation uh, with these words. He says, you believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree. You will see greater things than that. And then, while he's talking to Nathaniel, he turns and he addresses all the disciples that are gathered there. So it's not just Nathaniel there. Andrew and the unnamed disciple, who is John, the gospel writer, when he was a younger man, uh, Simon Peter, Philip, uh, they're all standing there while he's talking to Nathaniel. He turns to all of them and he addresses them with a y'all. Now, if you're reading in your English translation of the Bible, it doesn't say y'all. That's, uh, you know, not proper English. But it's him addressing all of them in the plural. They have a y'all in the Greek, in the original language. And what he's saying is this. Y'all are going to see the heavens open up and angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus is referring to himself. Angels ascending and and descending on me. Now this is a powerful image and maybe a confusing image, right? 
is a powerful image, but what does it mean? Well, it actually points us back to the book of Genesis, to the experience of a man, uh, an ancestor of Jesus named Jacob. Now, Jacob was the grandson of Abraham, and we've talked about Abraham in past weeks. He was the father of the nation of Israel. He was one who uh, God had made incredible promises to that were fulfilled in Jesus. Um, Well, two generations later, we meet his grandson, a man named Jacob. And Jacob was not a great guy. He was deceitful. He was a guy that was always trying to elbow his way to the top, even at the expense of his family. And in Genesis chapter 28, you can go and read it, we meet Jacob on the run. What's happened is he has fooled his aging father and he has stolen his brother's inheritance. And because of that, he runs, he flees in fear. And so he's out in the wilderness all alone, alone because of the impact and the results of his own deceitfulness and sin. And in his sleep, he has a vision. And this is what he sees. He sees a ladder or a staircase, a ladder between heaven and earth with angels, messengers of God, ascending and descending on the ladder. Now, this is what I was taught in Sunday school growing up, and maybe you've heard called Jacob's Ladder, this ladder that he sees in the vision between heaven and earth. And then he hears God speak in this vision. God's at the top of the ladder in heaven, and he hears Jacob hears him speak, and what God says is a repeat of the promises he had made to Abraham. He tells Jacob that even though Jacob is uh, deceitful and wicked, that God's grace is stronger than that deceitfulness and that what God is going to do is that through a a descendant of Jacob is he's going to bless the entire earth. Now we know on the other side of this that this all points forward to Jesus, that Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise of a descendant who's going to be a blessing to the entire world. And we know uh, a fuller picture of that that it involves Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and rising in new life in his resurrection from the dead. But the big point of this image, of this ladder, this way between heaven and earth, is that Jacob almost gets a vision of God pulling the curtain back to see that God is beginning an invasion of a sense. The point is God has begun an invasion into our world of death and sin and violence and selfishness and deceitfulness, and that this world of darkness is being invaded by His light. It's being invaded by His kingdom of grace. That a way has opened up, opened up, an unexpected way has opened through the promises and intentions of God to show grace and to give us a different outcome than what we uh, have coming to us, to give us a different outcome than we have deserved. And so, all these generations later, when Jesus uses this image to his disciples, what he's telling them is that he is the fulfillment of uh, not only the promises to Abraham uh, that a descendant would be a means of blessing to all the families of the earth, but he's the fulfillment of this vision that he is the true Jacob's ladder, that he is the true and better Jacob's ladder, that in Jesus, uh, symbolically, of course, he's not literally a ladder, (laughs) that in Jesus, God's kingdom of grace has come. It is invading our world. Heaven, in a sense, is coming to earth. And so all that God has promised all throughout the Old Testament, um, 
all that God has promised is coming to be. And it all centers in on Jesus. Not a deceitful uh, uh, ancestor Jacob. It all centers in on Jesus. He is the true and better Jacob's ladder. And that brings us to our second section. Jesus is the center. And so Jesus is the true and better Jacob's ladder. He is the very center of God's action of bringing grace into this world. But as I said earlier, he's not just saying this to one person. He's not just saying this to Nathaniel. He's saying this to all the disciples we've met in John 1. They're all there. And I... And, and, and just think about that for a moment. Let's pause and think about these disciples gathered together there, hearing this promise from Jesus. Think about how different their stories of even encountering Jesus for the first time were. Uh, further back, we first met John the Baptist. And John the Baptist had this incredible, dramatic spiritual experience where he was called by God to be a unique witness, to be the forerunner that was announcing that the Messiah of God's kingdom was coming, that God's kingdom was at hand. So John the Baptist, his encounter with Jesus was this dramatic, incredible spiritual experience. Well, then we meet Andrew and the gospel writer, John, the unnamed disciple. And these two were followers of John the Baptist, and they didn't have a dramatic spiritual experience like John. They were pointed to him. They were pointed to Jesus by John the Baptist. So their mentor pointed them to Jesus. And then we meet Peter. Peter is brought to Jesus by his brother, Andrew, by a family member. Then we meet Philip, who Jesus simply calls, follow me. It's a very simple call, and Andrew or Philip simply follows. Seems like a, a very uh, easy, clean-cut story, right? And then we meet Nathaniel, who's full of pride and full of skepticism, who is reluctantly and, and with uh, complaint <laughs> brought to Jesus by his friend. These are very different stories from one another. Very, very different stories. And their stories from here on out are different too. It's not like they come to Jesus and they suddenly all become the same personality or are suddenly all become the same uh, type of person even. Sure, they follow Jesus for the next three years during his ministry, but even their experiences of that are drastically different. And after the resurrection of Jesus, they are all individually scattered into this world, planting churches across the entire known Roman Empire and beyond drastically different stories from each other. But Jesus tells them all here, with all their different stories, that they will be witnesses of God's grace invading our world through Jesus. And what mattered most wasn't that their stories looked exactly the same. That wasn't the point. What bound them together was the grace of Jesus. What bound them together was not that their stories looked exactly the same, but what bound them together was that they were going to be witnesses and experiencers of the grace of Jesus. And that's true of us as well, here 2,000 years later. You know, if you polled even our small church about how we came to know Jesus, we'd have as many answers as we have people. Some of us came to faith in Jesus in college, maybe a campus crusade or some kind of ministry like that, reached out to us. And we considered the claims of Jesus and put our faith in Him. Some of us came 
to uh, Jesus later in life. Some of us had dramatic experiences of being uh, delivered from an addiction, uh, some kind of substance abuse. Some of us can never remember a time when we didn't believe in Jesus, even if that faith has ebbed and flowed in strength. Our various stories, as I said earlier, look very different than each other. And that is okay. In fact, that's part of the point. Our various stories, as I said, become together this beautiful mosaic that points to the grace of Jesus. That is not, uh, the grace of Jesus is not seeking to, to make us cookie cutter images where we all look exactly the same. That's not the point. Diversity is part of God's plan and it's beautiful in His sight. So the lesson for us, in part, is this, that there's no one story of coming to Jesus. There's no one story of redemption uh, that's better than another. Um, What ties us together is not that we have the exact same experiences. What ties us together is not that we have the exact same story. What binds us together is the grace of Jesus. And so we can come to Him with all of our individual stories and all their particularities, we can come to Him and find ourselves together swept up into this bigger story. And suddenly, all of our individual stories are tied into the bigger story of God's redemption. And we find our individual stories infused with a meaning and a purpose that maybe we didn't see before. But suddenly, no matter how insignificant we think Our past may be, no matter how insignificant and odd we think our story might be, it's now connected up with the story of God's redemption in Jesus. And that, that is what binds us together, no matter how different we are from each other. No one story is better than any other, and it is a waste of time and energy to think otherwise. What matters is that the stories have been bound together by the grace of Jesus, period. So, whether you had a dramatic uh, spiritual experience like John the Baptist, or maybe you were pointed to Jesus by a mentor like Andrew, or maybe you were brought to Jesus by a friend like Peter, or you came to Jesus reluctantly and full of doubts and skepticism like Nathaniel, what matters is this, the grace of Jesus. And we, together, we find a new center We find a fountain of grace that is enough for all of us. We find an identity strong enough to bear the weight of this world. We find our God not far off, but we find our God through Jesus invading this world of darkness with his light, invading this world of death with his life. We find our God coming to dwell with us. So let's uh, come to him together. And let's leave behind any anxieties we might have that our story is less than somebody else's or not as impressive as somebody else's. There's no less than story in the kingdom of God. Hear this. There's no shame if you think you took too long to get to Jesus. There is uh, no shame if you wrestled or you continue to wrestle with, with even big doubts. There's no shame in that. We don't wear shame thinking one story is better than another. There's no shame for us in the grace of Jesus. So, in other words, it does not matter how you got here or how any of us got here. What matters is that we're here. It does not matter how we got to the grace of God. What matters is this. 
we have found a grace that is enough for all of us.